A rich industrial, industrialist was disturbed to find a fisherman sitting lazily beside his boat. Why aren't you there fishing, he asked. Because I've caught enough fish for today, said the fisherman. Why don't you catch more fish than you need, the rich man asked. What, what would I do with them? You could earn more, you could earn more money, came the impatient reply. And buy a boat so you can go deeper and catch more fish. You could purchase nylon nets, catch even more fish, and make more money. Soon you have a fleet of boats and be rich like me. The fisherman, the fisherman asked, then what would I do? You could sit down and enjoy life, said the industrialist. What do you think I'm doing now, the fisherman replied, as he looked tacitly out to sea. Now the story doesn't tell us why the fisherman was able to sit down and enjoy life. However, what is clear is that he had a joyful contentment in his current situation. As Christians, we can have the same joyful contentment when we have an attitude that says, I will be satisfied with where God has me and given me. And I'm so glad that song, we, you know, that, that worship song played earlier, It Is Well With My Soul, because it's the same attitude. Whatever, wherever we're at, we can know that God is with us and it is well with our soul. Now last week we read about what Paul had to say about marriage, singleness, and divorce. But here his emphasis will be on developing contentment in a believer's current relationship status or situation and the benefits of being single. What I hope the Holy Spirit will reveal to you through this morning's message is that Christ, that in Christ, a believer can find joyful contentment in marriage and in singleness. So before we get into the word, let's open up with a word of prayer. Lord God, thank you for bringing us here this morning. We're able that we can worship you, we can glorify, we glorify you, we can praise you, Lord. Thank you for hearing us, for embracing us, for loving us. Lord, we've all come from different backgrounds, situations in life, circumstances. Not, not all of us here have walked the same walk, Lord. We may have gone down similar roads, Lord, but each situation is different. Each person, each life is different. So now as we continue to get into your word in this chapter, Lord, speak to us. Speak to us clearly, Lord. Minister to us where we need those areas that we just really need it. Pour your spirit powerfully upon this room so that hearts are opened, ears are opened, eyes are opened. Lord, use me to share the message that you have for them, for everyone here. Bless this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Last week we left off in verse 17 of chapter 7, so that's where we'll be. 
Let each one live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him. This is what I command in all the churches. Was anyone already circumcised when he was called? He should not undo his circumcision. While uncircumcised, he should not get circumcised. Circumcision does not matter, and uncircumcision does not matter. Keeping God's command is what matters. Let each of you remain in the situation in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Let it, let it concern, don't let it concern you. But if you can become free, by all means, take the opportunity. For he who was called by the Lord is a slave, is the Lord's free, I'm sorry, let me repeat that. For he who is called by the Lord as slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called as a free man is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of people. Brothers and sisters, each person is to remain with God in the situation which he was called. Here in this paragraph, Paul states his main point in three different places. At the beginning in verse 17, in the middle in verse 20, and in the end in verse 24. And it can be paraphrased as, just because you become a Christian, don't be so quick to change the, exter the external circumstances of your life. To emphasize this point, he uses a couple of, a couple of examples to illustrate his overall principle. Whether a Christian is single or married, God can work in that person's life. Verses 18 and 19 illustrate this principle with the example of circumcision versus uncircumcision. Now, during this time, a group uh, known as the Judaizers, Judaizers were trying to force Gentile Christians to conform to Jewish traditions and practices. Possibly the best description of these Judaizers is in Acts 15.1. There it says, some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. These Judaizers believed that this conversion process would turn the Gentile believer into a full-fledged full Jew, and that without this, the Gentile could not be saved. Now, on the other hand, there were many Jews who were trying to seek acceptance in the Greco-Roman world. One way they would do that is by undergoing a minor surgery procedure to make themselves appear uncircumcised. Now, when I hear about this kind of stuff, I'm like, I start to get wheezy. I'm like, uh, you know, but, uh, but apparently this, is, this was a practice that, you know, this was something they did even back then. Paul's point in verse 19 is that if a person were circumcised when they became a Christian, fine. If they weren't circumcised when they became a Christian, fine also. What matters more than any of that is keeping God's commands. Not by literally observing all 613 laws, but rather to the reinterpretations and applications of the law in light of the words and works of Jesus and his apostles.
you know, one of the challenges a new Christians, a new Christian will may encounter, or any Christian for that matter, is when they begin to carefully examine the situation they find themselves in, when they start to look at their own lives and see what's really going on. When this happens, it's important to keep in mind what Paul is saying here. Whatever state we are in, when we come to the Lord, we should function faithfully in that state without immediately seeking to change it. Now, there are certain situations that a believer, or any believer for that matter, may need to remove themselves, or need to remove themselves from. Now, here's a few questions you can ask yourselves to determine whether or not you can walk away from some, something or someone. You can ask yourself, is this situation or person, on, or am I honoring God? Is this honoring uh, God? Or can I honor God in this situation? Second question, will this situation ruin my testimony and my ability to share Christ with others? Third question, is this situation endangering me or others close to me? And lastly, what does the Word of God say about your situation or that situation? The answers, how you answer these questions should help you make a decision if you should stay or leave a job, a relationship, or even other questionable activities. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 3.5, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you, or do you yourselves not recognize that Jesus Christ is in you or in you? unless you fail the test. Now the point Paul is making here is just because being that, that here is just as being circumcised and uncircumcised is irrelevant when it comes to serving God, so is your current marital status. He could just as easily say, and this saying by analogy, married is nothing and unmarried is nothing. But keeping, God, but keeping the commands of God is what matters. So if you're currently married or you're single, you can honor the Lord and be greatly used by Him right where you are. Now in verses 21 to 23, Paul gives a second illustration by contrasting the experiences of Roman slaves and freedmen whether free or slave, neither state makes serving the Lord inherently easier than the other. He further explains that there are spirit, that, uh, that there are spiritual senses in which literal slaves are free in Christ and literal freedmen are slaves in Christ. Yet Paul adds an exception here. He didn't, which he didn't in the case of circumcision. If you can become free, by all means, take the opportunity. 
Physical slavery is a form of oppression and displeases God. So when opportunity for freedom arises, it should be seized. Now, although you and I don't live in a country where actual slavery exists, it's still possible to be enslaved physically and spiritually. We're never to put ourselves under inappropriate control or influence of someone or something that may restrict us from having the joy and freedom that Jesus Christ died or gave his life for us for, or died to give us. In many churches, there are dangerous people standing behind pulpits who are putting people in physical, spiritual, and financial handcuffs. And sadly, many willingly do it because they don't know the scriptures, they don't know the Bible, they don't know any better. And then there's a problem with drugs, whether it's illegal drugs or prescription drugs, alcohol, porn, gambling, and other vices that are putting Christians, other Christians, in the same handcuffs, physical handcuffs, spiritual handcuffs, financial handcuffs. They're putting them in bondage. They're, they're holding them down. They're keeping them, again, from having that freedom that Christ died for. And unfortunately, many don't realize it until they've lost everything they've ever cared about because of their addiction. They don't see that now they're depending on those things for their, you know, to satisfy whatever um, is going on in their lives, that hole that's in their heart. And, and addiction is, is a crazy monster because it's, again, it starts off small. And before you know it, it does. It starts to control your entire life. It starts to control your family life. It starts to control your careers, your jobs. And eventually, again, I've seen how, you know, the results of addiction. And it's not, it's not pretty. It's not nice. It's these kinds of situations that a person who is waking up to their condition should use every opportunity to become free. Whether it's by leaving that church, leaving that group of people that's keeping them into bondage, or whether it's seeking counseling or attending uh, recovery meetings, Christians can find freedom again in Jesus Christ. Speaking of himself, Jesus said this in John 8, 36. If the Son sets you free, you really will be free. Now those, now those who have been set free, Galatians 5, 1 says this. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery. Again, Paul's, Paul, Paul's point here is that God, if God called you while you were single or married, remain that way. If the opportunity arises where someone single wants to be married, he should take it. And if an unbelieving spouse wants a divorce, it's okay. 
By using these two examples, Paul's message to Christians who are currently single, married, divorced, or widowed, is to glorify God by living right where they're called, right or living as they were called. Christians can seek God's best and be used by Him right where they are. Pastor David Guzik noted this as well. This is also a warning about trying to undo the past in regard to relationships. God tells us to repent of whatever sin is there and to move on. If you are married to your second wife or husband after wrongfully divorcing your first wife or husband and become a Christian, don't think you must now leave your second wife and go back to your first wife trying to undo the past. As the Lord called you, walk in that place right now. Well, last week we covered, when we covered the first 16 verses of this chapter, Paul briefly addressed those who were seeing In the following passage, he spends more time speaking on the benefits of singleness. So let's pick up in verse 25. Now about virgins, I have no command from the opinion as one who by the Lord's mercy is faithful. Because of the present distress, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. However, if you do get married, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But such people will have trouble in this life. And I'm trying to spare you. This is what I mean, brothers and sisters. The time is limited. So from now on, uh, on those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. And those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not own anything. And those who use the world as though they did not, and you, sorry, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For this world in its current form is passing away. I want you, I want you to be without concerns. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the married man is concerned about the things of the world how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord so, she, she may, so that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But the married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. I am saying, saying this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is proper and so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. In this section, Paul addresses young men and women of marriageable age and warns them not to allow marriage or the affairs of this life to distract them from God. These virgins Paul is referring to were young men and women old enough to be married not necessarily those who were technically virgins. 
Just as in verse 12, Paul cannot cite a word from the earthly Jesus, but believes God is inspiring him to offer reliable counsel. Again, we shouldn't think Paul is any less inspired here, but because he deals with life situations that differ from person to person, he cannot and will not give a command. Verses 25 to 28, um, we also see uh, Paul explaining two reasons on why Christians ought to remain single. The first deals with the present distress, which he further explains in verses 29 to 31. And the second deals with the trouble in this life and is elaborated in verses 32 to 35. The first reason for Paul advising these virgins to remain single is in verse 26, because of the present distress. The present distress Paul is speaking of were the persecutions that Christians were going through at that time. If you remember, it was a horrible time for Christians. They were getting mass, they were just getting killed all over the place. They were getting displaced from their homes and they've had, they had to travel and go different places. They just weren't welcomed anywhere. And also, he's also thinking of the Lord's imminent return. Now, again, we don't know when the Lord is going to come back. And this was in the mind of Paul. He had the same mindset we have. He can come any day. And so he's saying, if, if he does come tomorrow, how should we live? So because of this, Christians should have a sense of urgency in serving the Lord. Now, Paul is where, well aware that distractions in marriage may temper this urgency. So he warns those virgins who chose to get married not to become so preoccupied with their families that, take, that they can no longer effectively serve Christ. Now, that is a possibility. To be so into the marriage that you just won't go to church, you won't do ministry, you won't... There's nothing at all. You just, you're not doing anything at all for the Lord anymore. The same is true with other normal human activities, celebrations and wakes, doing business and even shopping. All are legitimate endeavors, but all is passing away. Because of this urgency, the Christian should therefore be less involved or um, yeah, be less involved in the affairs of this world than the non-Christian. Paul then offers a second reason for them to remain single in verse 28. Young men and women who do get married will have trouble in this life. When I first read this as a single man, I didn't understand it. And once I got married and after a few years, you know, I... I think any of us would say it makes sense. The troubles of this life. His point here is that even if Christ didn't come back right away, attending to the concerns of a family may be distracting and take time away from serving the Lord. This was the main reason Paul considered the unmarried state preferable for himself. Paul in these verses isn't forbidding marriage or condemning those who are, but is simply saying that marriage could pose a distraction from devotion to the Lord. In fact, 
What he is saying here is that husbands and wives should be concerned about how to please each other. This was a point he was making in the beginning of this chapter. Again, Paul's reason for explaining these things is not to forbid marriage, but to put an eternal perspective on it. Verse 35 supplies the most crucial clue in the whole chapter for, de for determining when marriage is or isn't appropriate. Whichever state enables one to live in a right way, undivided, in an undivided devotion to the Lord, is preferable. Now Paul isn't putting a leash on anyone or a restriction, as he says. He's merely sharing from his own heart and experience. However, in his opinion, being married means fewer distractions in serving the Lord. Now personally, I've been married as long as I've been a Christian. Those first few years that I was single, I remember going to a lot of Bible studies and just hanging out with a lot of single Christians, going to different churches, you know, serving, doing different things here and there. In hindsight, all this, everything that I did was a tremendous benefit in the development of my faith. Now, although I may not be single now and it's been over 20 years since I have been, I do know a few that have taken advantage of their singleness to do missionary work in different countries, in different places, do ministry here, there, in all kinds of uh, areas. If you're single, I want to share with you a few of the benefits of being single and why you ought to see it as a blessing. The first benefit of being single is that you don't have a wife and children to worry about. Once you get married, the life you knew as a single person will be changed forever. You see, the moment you put that ring on that man or woman, or woman and give them that first kiss as a spouse, your priorities and your responsibilities will change from me to we. These responsibilities become even bigger once you have children or once children come into the picture. Now, although your number one focus in marriage, your number one focus and priority ought to be, should always be on God, you'll discover that having a family will require more of your time and energy than before. See, when you get married, you make a promise to your spouse that aside from God, nothing will be more important to you Nothing, not even ministry. Just the other day, Robin and I had a discussion of what would happen if one of us got sick. And we both agreed and came to the conclusion that we may have to reprioritize everything and just trust that God will sort it all out. It may mean taking some time away from ministry. It may mean cutting back hours it may, I don't, or adding more hours. It would mean also the kids would have to make sacrifices. But my priority would be to take care of her, to take care of my children if they got sick. 
that's what God is calling me to do. That's my number one priority above and beyond everything else in this world. You'll also discover that the affairs of this life, the affairs of this life will keep you from being involved in, in will keep you from being involved in ministry as much as you'd like to. I've had to decline certain ministry opportunities because it would have interfered with an important family obligation. But when you're single, this really isn't an issue. My point is that the benefit of being single means you're only accountable to God and to the people you, that you allow to hold you accountable. A second benefit of being single is that you have the opportunity to do more for the Lord than a married person ha uh, has. Because you're not bound to someone else, you have a greater freedom to discover the spiritual gifts God has blessed you with and the calling that He has placed on your life. You can essentially do ministry anywhere you want, anytime you want. It's on your schedule. You can serve full-time. If you wanted to, you can serve part-time. It's completely up to you. Whereas someone who's married may have to take it up with a spouse and get an agreement. I mean, I can't just tell Robin I'm, I'm going to start serving 40 hours or more a week on top of my 40 hour plus hours of my work schedule. You know, in a way, I'd be always sleeping on the couch. You know? <laughs> Isaac, for instance, has the ability right now to tell me that he's going to be, he's going with a missionary team to South America tomorrow to deliver Bibles in a remote village. If I were to say something like that to Robin, first she would laugh. And then she remind me that I've got to take one of the kids to the doctor's appointment tomorrow. You know, there's got responsibilities. I can't just get up and leave. If you're single, make the most of the time God has given you and use it to bless others, not just here, but in other places as well. In the New Living Translation, 1 Peter 4.10 says this, God has given each of you a gift from his variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. And lastly, a Christian sing as a Christian single, you're able to have unilateral devotion to God. Being unilaterally devoted to God means that you're devoted to no one else but God. When you're single, you're able to fully and unequivocally love the Lord with all your heart and with all your strength. Paul writes in Romans 12.1, In view of the mercies, as, the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. This unilateral devotion will give you a divine passion, which will lead to, selfless, to a selfless attitude 
a more compassionate heart, and a continual sacrifice of praise to God. Hebrews 13, verses 15 and 16 says, Through Him, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of lips that confess His, names, in his name. Don't neglect to do what is good and to share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. All right, so chapter 7, as we move on, chapter 7 closes with Paul's advice to two other groups of single believers. Let's go back to our passage and pick up where we, where we last read. And that's going to be in verse 36, and we'll, fin we'll, we'll read a little bit more here. If any man thinks he is acting improperly toward the virgin he is engaged to, if she is getting beyond the usual age for marriage and feels he should marry, he can do what, what he wants. He is not sinning. They can get married. But he who stands firm in his heart, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and has decided in his own heart to keep her as his fiancée, will do well. So then, he who marries his fiancée does, does well. So then, he who marries his fiancée does well, but he who does not marry will do better. In these last, well, in these last few verses of this chapter, Paul addresses engaged couples considering remaining single or getting married. In verses 36 through 38, verses 36 through 38 refer to a hypothetical situation in which a, an engaged man was considering whether or not to get married. Paul here is informing engaged couples who find it difficult to keep their passions under control that it's far better for them to get to, to, to marry. He is not sinning. They can get married, he says. However, Paul also suggests that it's absolutely possible to control these sexual drives. The key is this phrase, he who stands firm in his heart. What he's talking about here is someone who has learned to be secure in his identity as being one with the Lord. He has learned the secret of strength and what is the affirmation of significance and meaning in which he must have in order to function. He knows who he is before God. He draws deeply upon the love and strength and affirmation of Christ himself, and therefore he is able to handle the pressure, the pressures of sex. Now, if that's the case, Paul says, then he will do well not to marry because he has opened to him the doors of opportunity he cannot enter into that marriage would not permit. Regardless of whether you're dating or you're engaged, verse 36 apply to you. The real purpose of dating is to prepare you for marriage. You see, our culture has led us to falsely believe that a person ought to date as many people as possible until the right one comes along. Society says that before a couple gets married, they should live together first to see 
if they're emotionally, financially, and sexually compatible. However, that goes against God's will and purpose for dating. The purpose of dating isn't whether you whatever is to isn't to get whatever you can get from someone else for a temporary time. It isn't to see. Oh, I'm just gonna date this person um, until the next until someone else comes along, and I'll just break up with them, and you know, get with another person. It, it, it's not the purpose of dating. That's not the reason why you should be dating. It's to discover whether you'll be able to give all of yourself to that someone for the rest of your life. If you believe you're not ready to do that with anyone at this moment in your life, my advice, like Paul, is to remain single. Here's what I would suggest to anyone who wants to begin dating someone. Develop a non-committal friendship first to discover similarities and differences in regards to short-term and long-term goals. The only way you can discover if, if you have in your heart you want to have 10 kids and the person you're with, man, you have a lot to work out. It's a big difference. There's a big difference there. You know, if, if you know, you're a Christian and that person is Catholic, you gotta work you gotta work that out as well. You know whether you're Lutheran or the person's Methodist, I mean they're again, you gotta these are things that you need to work out. What are your long term goals? What do you wanna be doing in five years? What do we what do you wanna be doing? Where you where do you wanna be in ten in in ten, twenty years? You know, definitely Robin and I didn't know we were gonna be doing this twenty years later. You know, it's a big shock, but you know, praise God for his loving mercies. But again, that's the, that ought to be a time where you just discover where you're different, where you're similar. And being non-committal, and I was talking to this with my kids, you, you can remain friends, you know? You can continue to remain friends because you don't have that stress. Oh man, it's my boyfriend, it's my girlfriend, and I'm gonna agree, so now I have to break up with them and never talk to them again. You know, now you can, you know, if you're, if you're friends with someone, you, you know what, you suck. You know, you, you, can, you can just talk frankly, freely. And then come back later on and be like, oh man, I'm just joking, I'm playing around. You know, you, my friend, right? Secondly, I would advise, commit to an exclusive relationship while maintaining sexual abstinence. Attend church together and find opportunities to do ministry together. It's a great way to meet, to know really what's in the heart of a person. You know, go to, you know, worship, go to Bible studies together. You know, if you can serve together in ministry, again, do it. It helps you to see again where his devotion, where his heart or her heart is. And lastly, once you make a commitment to be married, seek premarital counseling. Take financial planning courses. Seek out people that have been married for 10, 20, 50 years. Get advice from them. Talk to them and see you know, what, how they were able to make it that long.
and they're all going to tell you something different, but they all have words of wisdom. Listen to them. Now, if you've been dating or engaged and you've been seeing that person or engaged or whatever it may be for over a year, let me say this. Stop messing around. Stop messing around and either get married or let go and move on. If you're not ready to be married, then you need to honestly ask yourself, what are you doing with that person you say you love? What is the point of that relationship? If you're living with someone and acting like you're already married, then why not take it? Then why not take it to the next? Why not make it official and make that commitment before God? Because the truth is, no matter what excuses you come up with or how you justify it, God still sees cohabitation without, you know, without being in the bond of marriage as sin. Now, I understand and I, I get it. I've spoken with a lot of couples. Every situation is different and things aren't always black and white. Now, if this is the case with you, with anyone you know, it's important that you seek the advice and counsel of ministry leaders who will understandingly lead you in a right course of action. If you understand that what you're doing is wrong, again, talk to somebody. Especially if the whole situation, if, it, if you were to move out, that would mean a complete financial breakdown in the situation. I've heard of all these stories. So far, nothing's new to me or Robin. We've heard it all before. But again, we, we can help you. We can lead you in a right course of action if that's what you really truthfully desire. Okay, so earlier in this chapter, Paul explained the options for someone who is divorced, either reconciliation or lifelong celibacy. In these last couple verses of this chapter, he offers a third solution, remarriage to another believer. Let's read those last two verses. Verse 39, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 39. A wife is bound as long as her husband is living. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to anyone she wants, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she remains as she is, in my opinion. And I think that I also have the Spirit of God. Chapter 7 ends by reaffirming monogamy as a lifelong commitment. These verses also contain the only explicit reference to remarriage, remarriage in this chapter. Paul states that, a, that Christian widows or those that have been divorced are free to remarry as long as they marry fellow believers. This makes sense, especially if the previous spouse was an unbeliever. Makes me think, why would you want to marry, 
if you got out of a relationship where the other spouse was an unbeliever, why would you want to get into another marriage or another relationship with someone who's not a believer? It's just going to fall back into the same mess. Even though you may think it's going to be different and all that, it may not. You know, I know a lot of, I know other people that have gotten into relationships thinking that, a, again, a, a believer or someone was a believer and they turned out to have some major issues. It was just a front. They've had some major, major issues. And it's sad because that marriage didn't last long. It won't last long. An important trait of a wise person is learning from past mistakes. So if you're, consider so if you're considering remarrying the most in a potential spouse is the strength of that person's devotion to God. You see, a person who loves the Lord above all else will be able to love you, love himself, love you, and help you to see that regardless of your past, God can make all things new. Paul here is also stressing this Paul here is also stressing this important principle. God intended marriage to be a lifelong commitment. Marriage isn't supposed to end because of irreconcilable differences, because you just don't get along anymore, because you just don't love that person anymore. It ends when God takes your beloved home to be with him. In verse 40, Paul's opinion is that widows would be happier if they remain unmarried and celibate because it offers a person more of an opportunity to serve God. As in verse 8, this opinion is based on his own experience of being unmarried. Paul realizes that if he can find, he can find joyful contentment being unmarried, so can others. Let me also add this important point. As his child, God absolutely wants you to be happy. The problem is that many times we convince ourselves that what makes us happy will automatically make our Heavenly Father happy as well. It would be like me, like watching one of my kids eat junk food all day. Yeah, it's gonna make them happy, but is it gonna make me or Robin happy that they're eating it? No. Gonna be angry, you're gonna be mad. What are you doing? It's gonna rot your teeth, it's gonna have stomach pains. It's not good for you. We have to get away from thinking that our happiness means God's happiness, especially if the Bible prohibits it. If you truly love the Lord, and desire and desire to live your life for him then your heart will seek the desire of his will for you Romans 12 2 says do not be conformed to this age but be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good pleasing and perfect will of God Paul then ends with quick little jab at the Corinthians. I think that I also have the Spirit of God. In no way does this reflect any doubt of what Paul, 
on Paul's part on what he's been saying this entire time. Rather, this verse represents a slightly sarcastic um, aside or a jab to the Corinthians who felt that they had attained true spiritual insight. What is joyful contentment then? Joyful contentment is being satisfied in the situation God has you in. There is joy in it because you believe that God has a plan and purpose for you. And there is contentment because you know there's no better place, no better place to be than to be in His will. Whether you're single, married, divorced, widowed, be joyfully content with where you're at right now and know that God can and will absolutely use you. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is the will, for this is God's will for you, who belong to Christ Jesus. If joyful contentment has eluded you, and it's what you're seeking and what you want, I want to invite you into the arms of a precious, of a precious Savior to obtain it. Everyone is looking to be satisfied with something. Everyone is looking for something to fill that void within them, in their heart. And many people have tried to fill that void with many different things. But those of us that have found Christ, those of us that have surrendered to Christ know that nothing else satisfies. Nothing else fulfills that need that's within us besides Jesus Christ himself. He loves you so much and he does. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to, to see the joy in life. And all he wants you to do is just open up the door to your heart. But sometimes, many times, we're so stubborn, we'll figure it out. I'm looking for, you know, I'm waiting for another answer. But there isn't. And if you want that joyful contentment, if that's what you desire deep within you, then come to the cross. Come to the cross of Jesus and just lay it, lay everything at his feet. With his love, compassion, his mercy. If that's what you want to do, you, you've never committed your life to Christ and that's what you want. Wherever you're at, bow your heads, close your eyes and pray the simple prayer in your heart. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I've fallen short. I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I confess that He is Lord. So now I lay my sins upon the cross, Lord. I accept your forgiveness. 
So now fill me with your love, with your spirit. Show me your ways. Open my eyes, open my heart to see you clearly. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that, again, it's talk to somebody. Let us know. Let somebody know. You want to start walking with the Lord, just you know, find other people that will show you and that will help you. Don't, eat, don't, don't try to do it on your own. And if you're here and if you're, again, listening, watching, and you're married or you're single or you're going through some stuff right now, and, and take it up to the Lord. Examine yourselves. Examine what it is that's really in your heart. What is, you know, are you trying to fill a void that only Christ can fill? You know, again, there is joy. There is joy in being single. There is joy in being married, even if you're in a difficult marriage now. But again, seek Him, and He will give you the answers. He will guide you in what you ought to do. Let's close this morning with a word of prayer. Lord God, again, another heavy passage that we cover today. But this is your word, Lord, and we believe it. We have faith that everything you say here is true and that it's for our benefit. And although sometimes it's, it's hard and it's difficult, it's for our own good. Lord, I ask that you bless every marriage, everyone's marriage that is, everyone that's married that's here, Lord, bless their marriages. Those who are single or divorced, widowed, whatever situation they're in, also just be with them as well. Encourage them, fill them with joy. Or especially during those times of loneliness. Help them to see you. Reveal yourself to them, Lord. Those who are single and continue to give them that strength they need to resist sexual temptation, resist, resist the, the, the pressures of sex. Comfort them in their need, in their time of need. Show them that you are higher, you're better than all that. Help everyone, everyone here to see there is joyful contentment in you and, and in you alone. Bless this next time, Lord, of fellowship. Bless everyone's week as they continue about it. May they be salt and light wherever they're at. Or use them in a mighty way. Bless this church. May it grow. May all those who are here 
desire to see it grow, Lord. Put ourselves in your hands. Praise you. We honor you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.